the last several weeks, we've been um, going through each of the seven churches with the intent for us not to be critical of other churches or even critical of our own church, but really to evaluate where we are individually. Revelation chapter three, we're gonna look at the church of Sardis, also known as the dying church. So chapter three, verse one to six. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Father God, thank you again for this week, another week where we can to live and to faithfully represent you. Where we confess the momentary uh, lapses and backslides, even faithfulness uh, this last week. And I pray that you can give us grace and to be reminded of your grace, Lord. And we do all things for your glory and we, we continue to kill the sin in our life. Thank you for this hand that we have. We pray these things are sensing. Amen. There, I'm going to tell us a little story as we begin. It's a story about a whole bunch of little rats or mouse, or we'll just use rats because they're more disgusting, and a cat. Uh, one day, this cat was, uh, you know, he was in his own home. He, was, he noticed these little rats are there, and he was hungry. And he tried to find a way to catch these rats, and he knows that these little rats are very clever. So he thought, okay, I can't use the normal method of catching these little guys. So I'm going to try to come up with a, a way in which to trick them into coming close to me. So what this little cat decides to do is to hang himself upside down, uh, dangling with one foot holding onto like at a little edge uh, in, the, in the room. And, uh, and as the rats walk in, they'll think that, oh, maybe the master uh, killed the cat and just strung him up like this. And all the little rats just slowly walk closer and closer. And as the mouse just slowly hears these, these rats coming toward him, uh, he snatches most of them. One of them escapes uh, and you know he eats these rats and then another day goes by, he gets hungry again. And so he decided, well, I can't use the same method. Otherwise they will know that I'm not really dead. So he decided, this little clever cat, decided to jump in all the little flower and roll around and then lay in the floor. So he's this like powdered cat now. And uh, there was this rat that saw, and they, all, they saw all these little, all these rats again, saw this pile of flour thinking, oh, this is food. But this one time in particular, this old rat appeared and he said this, looks like flour, but shapes like a cat. Better to be safe and keep distance. The lesson, the moral lesson of the story is this, the wise do not let themselves be tricked a second time. Some of you might recognize this story because this is one of Aesop's 
uh, poems or fables. Um, and this is, and the reason why I'm bringing him up in this as an introduction is because he's actually from Sardis. Uh, he is um, one of the most significant things about Sardis is that he, he is, is the birthplace of Aesop. And there are other parables and fables that he's done as well. But the story of this cat and this old rat is that, uh, yeah, you don't want to fall into the same sin uh, you need to learn from your mistake. And this old rat was actually uh, disfigured. He was missing a tail because he's, he's, a, a, you know, he's engaged a, a cat before and he knows that it's better to be safe than to, comp than to fall into the trap of uh, the cat. And that's how sin is. Sin comes when we fail to recognize its dangers. Sin comes into our lives and invades our heart when we uh, don't recognize the shape of sin or we think that this one thing is is not sin or even our own sin is dead and we don't have to guard ourselves anymore and when we do think when we let our guards down sin and temptation will reign over us and it will ruin us sardis this church is known for their habitual sin this church here is known for their compromise this church has fallen um from their, their heights uh, and their and their peak in a sense um, this church is known um, it's, it's one of the, the cool things about this church is that it's, it's actually by a hillside. It's on top of this hill. It's about, it's about uh, 1,500 feet. Uh, uh, there's like a 1,500 foot cliff and it's on the top. And this church is about, 70, it's about 35 miles away from the last church we talked about last week in Thyatira. It's about 35 miles south uh, east of it. And uh, this church or this area, Sardis, is because of the location that they are in, they think of themselves as seemingly indestructible. And we'll talk more about that later on about the whole city. And this city is a magnificent city because you know you think about it, it's on a hillside, it's really pretty. And, um, and but by the time of this letter, the, the city as itself wasn't as great as it used to be. It wasn't as glorious as it was in the past. This is the capital of, of the Lydian, which is conquered by the Greeks and later it will, it will be conquered by the Romans. Actually it was conquered by Persians, or eventually get, get conquered by Persians, and then eventually the Romans. And this is a place that, like, although there's like you know, top of a hill, there is a history of wars. There's always wars there. But at their peak, they 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 were amazing. Those was, was an amazing place. It was known for their hot springs there. That uh, they believe that like, if you just dip yourself in this hot spring, you have eternal life. And obviously it doesn't work because everyone there is you know dying there's there aren't people there that are like hundreds of years old uh, but this area is unique because paul this was part of paul's missionary journey in acts 19 and 20. he went throughout asia and he preached um to different places and what's actually kind of cool is if you look through all these seven churches of revelation they kind of trace the ministry of paul like it goes from ephesus all the way and, and loops around all the way to, and ends at laodicea so it's cool that jesus is actually using um, you know, he's, he ultimately was the one who moved Paul to these areas, and he's going to write the letter in that same order. The city eventually is, uh, I mean, this, at one point, the city at their prime, they were known for their gold. Uh, they were known that like, it, was, it was almost like, you know, when you think about how Solomon was like, at his peak, there was silver everywhere. Well, Sardis had gold everywhere. So in that sense, Sardis is similar to San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco is a place where it was known as, uh, you know, the, you know the, the golden gate, right? Like they were even California is like the golden, um, was like the golden city, uh, gold, uh, golden state, you know? Uh, it's because they believe that this area has a lot of gold. And that's, and that's, and we have that similarity uh, with Sardis and that this is a place known for 
just the natural resources. And over time, of course, everyone just takes and extracts and is not known for that anymore. Although we have a bridge called the Golden Gate Bridge. Eventually, again, the city's greatness is, is, has fallen. Their beauty has, um, is, is, is no longer as great as it was and became weak and destitute. Um, and in some ways, it's parallels the ways that the church of Sardis is. Sardis started off really strong. Paul was there, he preached the gospel, it, it grew. And uh, progressively as time went on, the church became stagnant, just like the city. It, it lost its beauty and splendor uh, from the beginning. And this church is, is on essentially life support. It's dying. As you notice, I was reading this, uh, you'll notice that this is actually a church that doesn't seem like it's doing pretty well. And this church, and again, in context, we parallel this to our church. It's about around for 50 or 60 years, just like our church. Our church has been around for 50, 60 years. And the strength and the greatness in the past will not always transfer itself to the present or in the future. Uh, that's what the Sardis city was like. That's what the Church of Sardis was like. And that could be a danger in our life as well and in our church. If we just keep looking at all the things that we've done great in the past and not focus on what, how to be faithful in the moment and the future, what will eventually happen is spiritual apathy. And uh, we will eventually just, the, you know, the church will eventually die spiritually. Our greatest strength and, uh, and greatness in the past uh, will not always transfer to the present or in the future. So that means that we constantly need to work at our faith. We need to work as a church, but you know, individually, we need to work our own walk. Uh, don't look back at what was, but work on what needs to be done now. I think, I don't know if some of you guys are in college, so uh, I don't know if you remember being in high school, and maybe some of you do. If, uh, if you were like me in, uh, when in high school, there's always that one or two or a group of students that always come back after they graduate. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're always hanging out in the parking lot after school, and then they're always wearing, they're still wearing their Letterman jacket, and they always talk about the good old days. And it's like, dude, the good old days for you was like three months ago, right? Chill. It was not that great. Um, but it's weird after a while when you see these individuals, because it's like, don't you have a life? Like you go, go do something. Why are you here? Um, and they always reminisce about the good old days and talk back about how great things were, how things changed again. It's like, it's bizarre. It's like you're stuck in your own life. You're just fantasizing about the past and not moving forward with your life. And again, that's the same way it is with us spiritually. If you think always about like, oh, how much time I've read in the past, or how much doctrine I spent in, when, in my youth studying, uh, and how much times I've read through the Bible, how much my prayer life was like in the past, and you, and you just gloat about the past and not doing it in the present, then eventually you'll, your, your walk will, will be hindered. Your present relationship with Christ and with our God can't be based on your spiritual highs of the past. And past uh, victories over sin does not else does not mean that you're pre that you have victory over the present sin as well. You need to constantly be growing and guarding your life. So, much like every sermon that we've gone through so far, I'm going to talk about the strength, the weakness, and the response. And I hope as as we go through this that you think about your own life. You think about your own walk with Christ. That if um, if there are, if there's any sin in your life that you're not letting go, if there's any apathy that you repent of it. So let's look at the first one, Sardis' strength. We'll see this in verse four. And really the strength is actually, there is no strength. Uh, this is almost the opposite of Smyrna. Remember Smyrna was a persecuted church. It had all these strengths and there was no weaknesses. This is like the opposite. The only good thing about this church is that there are just a few people left in this church uh, that's faithful. And that's it. Everything else about the church is corrupted. 
you see in verse four, it says this, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. It's a sad thing to, to know that your church is known for their sin and then the minority of the people in the church are the ones that are trying to hold on. And I think some of you guys understand what this is like. You, you might have some friends and family are in churches that are dying because the teaching is, uh, you know, their, their understanding of scripture is bad or they're starting to compromise a little bit and they wanna be faithful in there because they're devoted to the church um, and they wanna be able to leave a positive impact but they it's like upward, um, tied and it's hard to, to be able to overcome the, the culture of the church if there's only a minority of, of people there but that's what's going on in Sardis in Sardis the whole church is known for their sin and there's only a few of them left and that's what's cool about this is that we do see God's faithfulness God will always leave a remnant remnant of people if he believes that this church has a chance of, of, of repenting of, of changing um, God will always leave a remnant. You see this in the Old Testament where Elijah, after uh, killing all the Baal worshippers and then fleeing because the queen wanted to kill him, he was like, okay, I'm done. I'm the only prophet. I don't want to do this anymore. And God tells him, uh, actually, he, Elijah went all the way back to almost Egypt. He's like, let's just start over. Go back to the Exodus again. Let's just do Exodus 2.0. Let's start all over again. And God tells him, no, don't worry. There's still a few thousand people that, I ha that, that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God will always preserve a few or even send people to places that we never know about. You know, sometimes when you talk to people about Christianity, especially non-Christians, one of the things that they'll say is like, uh, they don't want to believe in a God because they don't want to believe in the God of the Bible because like, oh, what about people who've, you know, the, like there's like un, unreached people groups. Uh, what about them? Are they all going to go to hell? And when I hear that type of arguments i see that as like that's a fake compassion because if you truly care about those people you should you should receive christ and then you go out there and evangelize to them um but even if we and i and i do believe that like even if there are people that we may think is unreached god is always is working in ways that will it's not even recorded in history you know there's just things that god does in people's lives and in nations and countries and and, and that we don't know about and that's okay in, in glory we'll see how god even uses um, nobody to reach people that that you know, mission organizations have never sent before. Again, God is always faithful in that way. God is always going to find ways to draw those that are His, even if it means, even if it goes beyond our understanding. And then again, in this in this place in Sardis, this is what's going on. God has left a few remnants in this church, and these people, I would believe, were like trying to call them to repentance. They would get this letter. From their elder or the, you know, the whatever the elder the messenger is and it's like okay those few people that you have they're the ones that you need to listen to they're the ones that are telling you that hey you've drifted there's this downgrade in your doctrine and, and your godliness that's what's going on here and then christ says this to them that uh there are those people who, who did not soil their garments and this is exactly what you think it means um Sardis is known for their dyeing, like dyeing as in like dipping things in, uh, you know, color. They're known for like, you know, making their clothes. Um, so this imagery here, Jesus trying to invoke them like something that they're familiar with and make them realize that like, you know, the thing that you're, um, that you, you're dyeing yourself with is, is not color, but is with, is with, you know, poop. And it's, 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 you know, it's supposed to show them that this is how corrupted they've become. Uh, they, are a, they are a dying church. And if you know something anything about when people die, eventually their bowels get released and that's how gross and, and it smells bad. And that's what Jesus is saying about them, that there are people that have not soiled the garment, but the majority of you have, have failed in this way. 
And the result is that these faithful ones will have those white garments. And white garments usually in scripture, we think of holiness and purity. But in the context of this book, it seems to speak of eternal life. Um, in Revelation 3, verse 18, uh, later on to the message of Laodicea, I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in, in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed in, in eye slav to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Um, later on in Revelation 7, all the people that are in heaven are, are wearing white and uh, Revelation 6, 11 as well. So the point of this is that those faithful individuals here, um, the ones that are faithful, um, he's telling them to hold on, to hang on tight to Christ, to, uh, to not to compromise, even though the entire church, and you can imagine most, even some of the leaders, the deacons, the small group leaders, the worship leaders, um, whatever it means, like the, the, the masses is known for their compromise. He's telling, he's encouraging them to hold on and they will have eternal life. So their strength, what is their strength? None, aside from the few little remnants here and there, the majority of them have fallen. And that's something that you and I need to think about in our life. Are we, the majority of the church, have fallen in compromise and sin, or are we the remnants? Which one are we? And if you look at your own heart, which side are you? In, in the way that you live, in the way that you conduct your life, are, would you say that you're those that have soiled your garments um, because of the sin and compromise? Or would you be the one that is actually um, calling people to repentance uh, and are being faithful in teaching God's word? I think that this question is going to come, is going to become more relevant for us as the time moves on, as we see things like the, um, you know, almost like the restrictions and government's overreach or control. Eventually, we're going to have to choose a side between being faithful to the Lord or faithful to the world. But even in our personal lives, are we going to be faithful to, um, to the Lord in our own fighting against sin? Or are we going to just compromise and live like the world? So it's a question we ask ourselves. Are we like the faithful remnants or are we given over to the, to the thinking of the world? So that's the strength. Sardis' strength is not that great. But now let's look at their weakness. Um, verse 1 to 2. Again, this intro should feel sound familiar to us because every chapter or every uh, church is uh, like that and um so this is the, to the angel of the church in sardis he who has seven spirits of god and seven stars says this again we've talked about this in the past this is just basically uh, christ being in charge of all of the uh, churches it says i know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead they have a name or seemingly that their church name is, is that they're alive. Um, if you were to use it in a modern context, it would be like this, it would be like the Sardis living church. Um, you know, they're the living church, but then Jesus is saying, you may have that name in your front of your building, but he knows that the people occupying that church are dead. And if you think about our church, we're known as San Francisco Bible Church. I think it is, is a, it's a brilliant name because when you Google San Francisco, that's a location, Bible, the thing that we read and study, church is where we are, right? You will find it as the first one, like liberals even will find us first because it's such a basic name. It is an awesome name because it's like a timeless name. <laughs> like you're, that's just things that you'll look up, um, you look for. But do we live up even to that name? 
uh, you know, SFBC has always been known for their Bible teaching, and that's good, but are we also known as living out the Bible? Uh, not only does the church should teach truth, that is important, but we must not be like the people here in Sardis, um, Sar the Sardinians or Sardines, I guess. We don't want to be like these Sardines here. We want to be uh, people that are faithful to God's word. Jesus is not fooled. He sees the, the people in it. He sees how they're dead and he can um, tell that these people, although they have seemingly the uh, right name in their church, that their hearts are not, um, are not aligned with doctrine. He sees the facade and he, and he sees their, their lies and he knows that they are dead. So this is actually something interesting for us to think about that your association with SFBC or your association with doctrine or a, a specific way of, of, of theology or your knowledge of doctrine, even if these things are true and these things are good, uh, does it, it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't change your life. If you're spiritually dead, it doesn't matter how much doctrine you know. Um, it doesn't matter if you have reformed theology if your life is not reformed live up to not just what the church's name is, but what the Bible has to say, what the Bible's expectation of us in our walk with him in this world. Salvation is spiritual life. Uh, there, should be, um, there should be growth. There should be things that is changing about you. You should be, the way that you think about things should be different. You're not gonna be perfect in this life, but there should be a trajectory of, of, of being different from where you were even just six months ago or a year ago. Jesus says that he knows and, and Jesus has absolute clarity in the life of all. And that should terrify us that we can fake that with everyone in our life. We can fake this with our small group. We can fake it with our elders. We can fake it with our friends. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows your hypocrisy. The Lord knows the deadness that's going on inside. He doesn't need evidence uh, in like pictures or, or like, like secondhand knowledge and people telling them. He knows everything that we do is ever before him. We, it lays bare before him. He knows it all. Again, this should be a test for ourselves that when we think about our own walk, don't worry about other people's opinion. What does Christ think? If you look at your scripture, it should be a mirror to your soul. Does it match up to what it has to say or are you spiritually dead? Not all of us that meets online or in person or goes to SFBC holds to the truth that the Bible has set for us. Verse 2000 wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die for i have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my god jesus tells them to wake up to you know and you understand what that means it's like the alarm clock in the morning it is annoying but it's telling you to wake up because you need to go to work in my context right now my daughter does that she has a she her job in the morning is to wake me up. She jumps on me and she says, wake up, I need milk, get up, wake up, wake up. And she does this incessantly and she doesn't stop until I get up. But what happens if she did that to a corpse? If she was jumping on the, on the corpse and screaming at the corpse, the corpse is not going to respond because it's dead. No amount of jumping uh, will do. Sometimes I do play dead, but eventually I come back to life. Um, and again, if we think about some of us every single week as I am preaching through this, 
each of these chapters, each of these sections, each of these churches, each of these messages is actually God telling us to wake up, to turn away from uh, the sin and the apathy. You know, when the Bible tells you to wake up, it's not in the sense of like the, the you know, modern culture being woke. You know, this is something more significant. This is telling you to wake up from your spiritual deadness. Some of you are spiritually sleeping and need to wake up while others of you are dead and you need to repent. Your eyes need to be open. The sardines attitude towards God was apathy and they were spiritually dead and they, and then, and it made that, made this, what's going on in this, in the church of Sardis may not be found in our life as well. The sardines had people in the church uh, that were complacent in their walk with Christ, and it caused them to be lured into surrendering their union and identification with Christ to union and identification with the world. And it's often very subtle, but it's something we must always be mindful of. Notice it says Jesus helped them strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. Again, this is a call for them to repent, a turn back to what you know, or what you have left of Christ and whatever they have left. And I think what they have left at the very basic level is that they have the gospel. They at least have that. And, he, and he, Jesus telling them, remember that, remember that gospel and strengthen it, uh, strengthen your knowledge and appreciation, your understanding of the gospel. Because if you don't get that basic core of the gospel, it doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter if you're a church member, it doesn't matter the ministry that you do. If you forget the main core of the gospel, if you don't nourish the gospel in your life, you will backslide and you will fall into sin. This church is on life support and it needs to go back and remember the love of Christ. Notice Jesus, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Uh, basically, this is what it's saying, that the things that they were doing were not pleasing to the Lord. What they were doing so far in, in this church as a whole wasn't pleasing. They may think it's completed in the eyes of the Lord, but it's not. And Jesus is rebuking them for it. They did things that were displeasing to God. They may even have the right type of ministry, but they lack the spiritual life that is needed to have true spiritual work. Then you must not think that just doing ministry or going on these Zoom calls or going in person or um, you know, going to uh, in person or anything that you do for the church and in the name of Christ, just because you do these things outwardly does not mean that you're godly or mature. A ministry must be an act of worship from a genuine heart and a genuine love for Christ. If not, then um, if you haven't fixed your uh, eyes and, and gaze on the Lord, and when turbulence comes, when change comes, when your ministry is taken away, when those small groups are over, when, you're, when you have life changes and your lifestyle is different, then you will eventually drift. Your life, your spiritual life must be tied to the Lord. It cannot be tied to anything in this world, even the good things in this world. It must first and foremost be tied to the Lord, the eternal God who does not fade, uh, but, but lives forever. So this is something that we need to think about. When we look at the weakness of Sardis, these people were spiritually dead and God calls them to wake up. And I wonder if that's some of you here, do you find yourself just kind of cruising spiritually? You know, I've said this before that there's no such thing as a plateau Christian. You are either growing or you're in sin. You're either loving God more or you're, or you're cherishing some sort of idol. There should, there's no such thing as a plateau. 
Spiritual apathy is a sin because it's saying that you love something more than Christ in that moment. And Christ expects us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. So ask yourself, are you spiritually dead? And if so, what are you going to do about it? So let's look at how Christ tells him. So we see the strength, the weakness, now the response. Uh, go to verse three. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Jesus is telling them to remember these glorious truths, this place, the Sardis and the people uh, there, they need to remember how great the city was. Um, and this was again, it's almost like a, an object lesson to remember what their spiritual life was in the past, that things were great and because they just either kept dwelling on the past and just let go in the moments or that they never truly were saved. Um, these were things that they need to be mindful of. Spiritually, they did the same thing, but they forgot what, they forgot to look to the Lord and they just kept dwelling on their past glories. Jesus wants them to remember the past and have it have them be moved by it so that it can affect them in the present, not to get stuck in the past and, and just be there and just you know stuck in their mind and thinking about all the things that they did well in the past. This attitude will get harder the older and um, the larger church is. Um, we want to go back to the way things were uh, and fail to see what could be now if you're diligent in your spiritual walk in the moment. Don't think temporal victories over sin in the past will give you leverage in the moment now. Uh, don't think that Bible, the Bible studies you've done in the past just because you've heard the messages from that particular verse, you've heard it multiple times, that means that you can't learn something new from it. Don't assume that the ministry was better in the past um, back then, or you get, or this is the prime, or that was the prime of our church, uh, and, and neglect the, the, the task that you need to do at the moment. Don't idolize past victories, or you will be defeated in the moment. You need to think about where you are at spiritually. You need to remember the past. Yes, cherish the gospel and have that impact you in the moment. In fact, this word keep here is in the imperfect. It's, it's like, like keep on keeping. Keep keeping uh, the gospel. Christ is telling them that there needs to be an earnest attention to their current problems and they need to rebuild on whatever they have left. And again, I think it's probably just the basic gospel knowledge. He tells them to repent, and there is a contrast between remembering uh, and keeping, because those are both intellectual things. When you when we tell people to remember and keep, those are things that you is, is all in your mind first, and the result of what goes on in your mind is that you will act on it. That's called repentance. Repentance is the is a is the outworking of what's going on in your mind and your heart. Christianity is both the mind, engaging the mind and your actions. You can't have one without the other because if you only have the mind and there's no action, that's, that's an incomplete knowledge or a false understanding of, of the truth. But if you have action and you don't have truth, then you're in a cult or you know, that's, you're cult-like or you're just self-righteous. The Pharisees were like that, right? They, outwardly, they did all the right things, but they didn't grasp truth. So we need both. You need knowledge, which will produce in your life either convictions or some sort of remorse that will lead to repentance. So you need to know truth. Notice at the end of verse 3, says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I'll come to you. 
this should sound familiar because Jesus says that he will return like a thief in the night. And in that context, in those contexts, like in Matthew 24 or Luke 12, those are, or even 1 Thessalonians 5, those are the good things. Like, like you're not expecting when Christ is going to come, he's going to come get you. That's a good thing. But in the context here, he's saying that he's going to come and you're not going to expect it. And, and it's this idea that uh, repentance needs to be taken seriously. It's an urgent call for, for uh, to response because there's an imminent return of Christ. He's telling them he is going to return. And that threat should be something that we take to heart. Like I know the you know first I was reading Second Peter read this last week and it's so like don't assume that just because Christ hasn't returned that that's like okay but that means the Bible's not true. No, Christ is not returning has not returned is because he's given you time to repent. See that is a means of grace. Is it's it's his his mercy, divine mercy, to give you time to turn from your sin. Jump down to verse five. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. Uh, he who overcomes this will wear this white garment again. As I said, this is what it means for eternal life. And he said he will not erase the name. And this means that Jesus will defend this person before the father. Um, he's going to be our mediator in that sense. He's going to be our arbiter. He's going to be the one that intercedes for us. And he'll keep us and he'll defend us. If God somehow asks, why should this person go into heaven? Jesus will say, because I died for them because of the love that he has for me, he's, because of the faith that, they, that he placed in me, that's why this person deserves eternal life. And he's not gonna remove us. And even if angels, if like fallen angels say, why does this person deserve to go to heaven? It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. He will defend us, he will rescue us if we truly understand scripture and to repent from all the sins that we might be harvesting in our life. So again, when we look at the response, that's a response for us as well. If you're living in sin, whatever secret sin you think you're hiding, it's not secret. You know, the Lord knows and he knows and he's coming back and you, you don't want to be in the midst of your sin as he returns. That's a very terrible thing you know, to know that, oh, I should have been faithful. And every moment that we have in our life, we should be faithful and to mortify sin. But that means we need to guard ourselves from the dangers of, um, of, the, of just patterns and sin in our life. I started with Aesop's fable, and I sometimes wonder if he wrote this fable because of what happened to Sardis. There's like a little, you know, there's, I think he was inspired by the place that he was at. Again, I, last time I drew a little drawing of like a cult, uh, a false guy. I'm gonna draw, I'll show you another a pastoral artistry. So I believe Sardis looks something like this. He's like Sardis here in the cliff and then up here and then there's like a cliff that goes like this. It's like amazing, I know. But I think that uh, Aesop took this idea of this cat and the mouse learning this lesson because Sardis was like this. Um, they were, again, they were great. They were overconfident because of how high they were. You know, 1,500 feet off the ground, they had this high you know, wall and they're like, okay, no, this, this is a tactical advantage. No one's gonna uh, beat us. And the Persians, you know, Cyrus, you know, in the Old Testament Cyrus, that guy in the prophesy in Isaiah, that guy, um, he actually, uh, in, in extra biblical literature or and history, history, actually, we find that he actually decided to go and take Sardis. He went to fight against them. And what he did was he got one very great rock climber and just like, okay, just climb up that cliff, go up there, climb it. And he does. He goes up there by himself 
gets into the city, walks through the city and opens the front gate. And it said, it was said in history that if like a child saw this guy and just screamed, the, 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 the war would have been over. But because it's just one guy just climbed up this wall, went in and unlocked it. And that's how the Persians overtook Sardis. Hundreds of years later, the Romans, again, Sardis again, is like, ha ha ha, look at the tactical advantage that we have of this cliff. And the Romans are like, okay, we're gonna climb this wall. And it was even worse because this time, uh, like the first Persian guy, like, you know, the during the Persian guy, that one guy climbed, took a while to get there. And you can imagine he had no help. He went up and had to go by himself. But the, when the Romans did, they sent a whole army up there, all climbed all the exact same way that they lost the first time was how the Romans did. And they went in as a whole group. And, and what was worse is like, they saw like, oh, the Romans are sieging them, <laughs> whatever. We're just gonna party. We're not even gonna try to defend ourselves. We're not gonna guard that one spot because we're protected. And that one, and then they're all drunk and stuff. And then the Romans just climbed that wall, and it was over. They lost everything. They made the same mistake twice, and it ruined them. That's why the, the whole city is does it doesn't seem as beautiful as it was because it's, they just kept losing at the same place over and over again. And you know, this is the same way for us. You can feel safe because of maybe you're you're in a safe environment like in America or SFBC. You may think that this is going to keep you from falling into sin or even denying the faith altogether. But spiritual apathy comes when you make one too many uh, mistakes of the same sin, when you just keep falling to the same sin over and over again, and you're not mindful of how to guard your life. When you know that you should not be watching this, when you know you shouldn't be with that person, when you know you shouldn't be saying that, when you keep going back to the same sins over and over again, and you're not trying to cut that out of your life, what will eventually happen is that you will die spiritually. When you stop guarding your heart, you can be like the people in Sardis, just dying. And I hope and fear that for all of us, that we need to, be, we need to take sin seriously, that whatever sin that we have in our life, that we find ways to mortify, to cut it out of our life. Because if we don't, what will happen is that we will, you know, we will be, some of us will just deny the faith. Others of you will just be useless. You may still be saved, but you might not be effective and useless and you will definitely not have joy in Christ. That's my hope for us as we study through this, this church, that we are people that are mindful of our weaknesses and we guard ourselves. Because again, our life, is a war against sin and we need to be uh, mindful of that let's pray heavenly father thank you for your word and thank you for even your sovereignty and providence and using scriptures and how all the history that goes by it to illustrate the dangers of sin and we're grateful um, that you and your holy spirit is working in our hearts as well and i pray for all of us that you will convict us of sin that we might have and that we cut it out of our life um, that we seek accountability if need be, if we just need to make radical change in our life, that we do these things, Lord. Lord, uh, be with us now as we have our discussion groups and even to the weekend. Um, may, may we have opportunity to share the gospel with others or to encourage uh, fellow brothers and sisters to continue to, to, to grow in Christ like this and not to grow cold uh, for the love of you, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for your son's name. Amen.